of dirty work. Oh yeah, I don't wanna do your dirty work no more. I'm a fool to do your dirty work. Oh yeah. Light the candle, put the lock upon the door. You have sent the maid home early. Like a thousand times before, like the castle in its corner. Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show for our financial hour. Joining us this week, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. So, in the markets these days, we got to figure out who's doing whose dirty work. Uh, the uh, the Fed, and now it's not just the Fed, but I'm going to start calling Jamie Dimon, uh, Jay Powell Jr., because he's stepping in and other banks are stepping in to try to keep certain banks from having trouble. And all that is occurring in the market is more down, you know, so the market is not convinced, but anyway, we're in, we're in interesting times and, uh, we welcome Chad to the show, um, today. Um, go ahead. Nice to be here, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll see whether it's nice to be here or not. Yeah. <laughs> you, you may, you may live to. You may live to regret those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, let's, you know, we have this article from Bloomberg. Banks rush to backstop liquidity. Now, the, the, the thing about banking, this is what you have to understand about banking. Banking is simple until it's not. Here's what makes banking not get simple. Banks have liabilities. That's your deposits. So when you put money in a bank, it becomes a liability to them because they are going to have to be able to honor your deposit in the event you write a check on it. They have to, you know, cash your check. They turn it in order to keep those liabilities on the books. You say, well, they're not paying me any interest. It still costs them to keep that liability on the book. They've got to earn something on your deposit which means they have to invest it in something. Now, it could be Fed funds. It could be overnight money. It could be a lot of things. But they've got to put it somewhere. The problem comes when the place they put it isn't worth as much as what they've got to pay you when you cash your check. It's real simple, but then it gets real complicated. So all you have to do is have one high-profile bank get in big trouble, like what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, and then it's like what you have with all the banks together. It's like some kind of very delicately balanced lattice work. And so somebody hits it over here and it starts causing stresses and strains throughout the system. 
So consequently, people began to think, well, what about my bank? Is it okay? Is it safe? Folks, what is happening? It's nothing new. <laughs> you know, banking has always been a mismatched business of assets and liability. It's always been. Otherwise, they couldn't earn a spread and stay in business. Mm -hmm. They've never. It's never not been this way. What is happening? Well, one of the things is that's exacerbating it is this increase in interest rates that the Federal Reserve has been doing to try to undo the damage that I believe was done when they dumped so much money into the system during COVID. Of course, it's going to cause inflation, although the Fed chairman seems to at least say he doesn't think that caused inflation. If that's the case, why is he tightening interest rates to restrict the money supply? You know, you can't be a monetarist and a Keynesian at the same time. Those are two different economic schools of thought. So I don't know. My thought here is that now the banks and everybody is rushing out there saying, hey, we need extra funds because people are pulling their money out right now. And it's not... It's, 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 I don't know how long it's going to last. It's not getting fixed right now. So, so a couple interesting things, <clears throat> you know, first you, you think of the classic bank run, you see the old black and white pictures of people lined up at a bank, getting their money out. You know, that's the class what you picture as a bank. It's run. a wonderful life. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. But today you got your phone. Yeah. And it's instantaneous. You know, hey, you have money at this bank. I don't want it at that bank. I'm going to move it over here. I'm going to open up an account electronically. In 10 minutes or a day, money's moved over there. That's right. Okay, so it's instantaneous. Um, and so it's like, you know, with information, even information flows quicker now. Money flows quicker today, too. Um, and so that you, you, you combine that with social media, you know, just the information, that's what's caused this whole this whole mess to begin with right now. But the other thing on the asset side, you're talking about what the bank puts the money in. Back in during the financial crisis, what they owned, you had bad stuff in there. You had what they thought were AAA rated that were junk. Yeah. Today, they're good good assets if they are held to maturity and because yeah, the interest rates too low because they had they bought them so with it's interest the same thing as being a bad bond if it drops to 80 it doesn't matter whether it dropped because it was a bad credit or because yeah. it was it still dropped it's the mismatch yeah but but you had the the big banks uh coming in um on on one bank what was it 30 billion that they're they're actually putting in as deposits they're acting as a depositor um and you know they're they're going to treat that as if it were just a person with a you know deposit there so it, that what they're trying to do is shore up confidence because it's all about confidence in the banking industry you have to have confidence in the bank to put it there that's right mike and 
as far as the liquidity needs of the bank on a daily basis, I mean, the, the main point of the article was that we've seen unprecedented levels of, of banks going to the Federal Reserve to borrow money for short-term needs. And it simply, it, it's, it's not a sign of, of, a, of a problem. It's there, it, it's serving its purpose. I mean, it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Well, couldn't some of that sure. be because there's more money in the system than there's ever been in the past? So the number's bigger, but we're just dealing with more dollars in a sense. Well, absolutely. I mean, that, that's a big factor. But it's, it's, a, it's a sign, though, of just how much panic there has been among depositors. And, and one thing, it's important to distinguish, the FDIC insures individual accounts. They insure deposits in individual accounts to $250,000. But the banks that have seen more runs or, or have had more panic have a higher percentage of their total deposits in, uh, above that $250,000 Correct. Threshold. Absolutely true. So you had uh, Silicon Valley Bank, you had First Republic Bank, some of these banks. And then the Biden administration just came in right after they said they weren't going to bail out the bank. Well, they bailed out the depositors of the uh, Silicon Valley Bank and said, oh, you're, you're all cash good and uh, i had a guy out in northern california tell me well they did the right thing and i said yeah but every other bank's gonna want to have it done too so yeah yeah well that's i guess that's that's the moral hazard that everybody's talking about too you know what kind of risk will people be willing to take if they feel that everything's backstopped um so fed one of the things that uh this thing now uh, is doing, according to Bloomberg, they have been uh, quantitatively tightening now for several months. And basically what they did, despite what they do on Wednesday, is an undoing of this tightening. They can raise rates or do whatever they want to do, but they've just put a lot of reserves into the system and in uh, that now I'm being told will probably be inflationary. Be inflationary. Yeah. 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 Um, they also, uh, JP Morgan, they estimated that on this new, uh, facility that they set up, which I think that just got started on Sunday. Uh, they estimate, uh, $2 trillion is an upper level for how much liquidity the new backstop could provide. Um, and that, that allows the banks to post as collateral these assets. And they essentially, they get a loan at par, which is a, uh, at full value. Uh, so they get a loan at par for that asset. Um, so if the asset's trading at 80 cents on the dollar, they want, that's just going to undo everything they just did in terms of tightening. Yep. It's already undone about half of the the tightening just in the few short days since that's been in place. And if the expectation is we're going to see more money drawn, then, then it'll absolutely, it's going to be expansionary and inflationary. When you've had massive amounts of money uh, move into money market and treasuries, uh, money markets uh, attracted 113 billion uh, and treasuries 9.8 billion just in the this week um i mean you you look at the the yield on the 10-year treasury closed at 3.395 
today. And just a few weeks ago, was it 408, somewhere around there? Um, and so, I mean, just rates have come down precipitously. Now, that could bode well for certain areas of the market because you do have less competition with bonds than you would with, especially with dividend stocks, for example. Um, so, I mean, there in any major market fluctuation, dislocation, there are opportunities. Um, and when, when yields were going up, you started having more competition with equities, with uh, dividends, if you will, because money market bonds are actually paying something. Well, now those yields have started to come back down. That could bode well for certain areas of the market. Right. Well, the other thing with lower rates, it means that people are willing to pay a little bit more of a premium for stocks or companies that are growing at a faster rate. And if you've noticed, those have held up fairly well in this market. Right, but they haven't held out fantastically well. I mean, everything's come down. I mean, you know. I mean, even utilities, which are the, the... I guess the place where people like to go to hide in the stock market. I mean, they've, they've lost ground a little bit this week. So it's, it's, uh, everything's been affected to to varying degrees. Right. But for the, the person out there, that's, that's a long-term investor, what's going on in the market. I mean, how, how many, how many radio shows have we done when there's been, you know, the Greece crisis, fiscal cliff, you've got, you know, COVID, you've got all, all these, you know, events that are happening, um, or that have happened over the years, fiscal cliff, fiscal cliff, just all these things that have happened where you had just knee jerk reactions in the market. You've had flash crashes. You've had this, you've had that. You've had, you You almost sound like you're getting tired of all this stuff. Well, no, I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) you you see things i mean my goodness i mean you you've both both of you we've all seen know, things that it, are similar it always feels like this one's gonna be different and, and, and it always does it always feels like that lose their marbles over it you yeah. know because that's just how that's just the, the kind of thing you live with in this thing i didn't i hadn't thought about the inflationary thing about doing all this and that you know here we've worked hard to get over this inflation and that what the fed just now did could potentially just stoke it right back up again and and jay powell and i I hate to say this about an official like that but he just seems to be a guy of of a minimum amount of intellectual depth i mean and and i don't mean that in a well, I guess it sounds negative, but uh, uh, I mean that in the best way possible. You're not stupid, Tom, but actually, you kind of are. Yeah. I don't. I don't. He, I heard him answering questions, and he, they were. He said, "Well, we want to get inflation back to two percent." And he said, "Well, they said why?" He said, "Well, that's the global standard," and that was the answer. You know, okay. All right. Who was the guru that said that inflation should be at two percent as the global stand? What? Why is it that that's the number? Do, do you think any farther than that? And then, in the same thing, he said, uh, "We don't believe that 
all the money printing during COVID had anything really to do with inflation. We couldn't do anything else. But then he turns around and says, but we're going to raise interest rates to stop it. That right there, those, that's a contradiction right there yeah. within. And I'm not even sure he even realized it. Yeah. Because I think he's using prescriptions that came from people that came before him, like a Paul Volcker, like Nick Brady, who was his boss, who was a brilliant guy. But this guy kind of was always under their wings and kind of in the background. Now he's the guy, and all he's got to fall back on are the people that went before him. And I don't know that he thinks really very deeply for himself. Yeah. And so this is a this is what we're dealing with right now. We have this situation with our leadership um, of people that just seem to be kind of absent not really very deeply thinking people. Right. Well, on the inflation side, I mean, it would depend too on how things play out. Um, you know, if there, if this causes an issue in the labor market, um, or, um, with venture capital, or if you, if you do have things spill over, you know, uh, on the consumption, uh, so there, uh, there, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, but from a an asset on their books, it has undone most of that. Yeah. Well, what, let me revisit one topic we kind of glazed over, and that is the if we have the uh, be the backstopping of uninsured deposits as well as insured deposits, which is what's happened in the case of Silicon Valley bank shares and Signature bank shares, which was the New York crypto bank that they shut down over the weekend. Uh, right after they shut Silicon Valley Bank on last Friday. What you have is basically the Fed has said, we're backstopping, we're going to honor all deposits. And they implied anyway that they're going to honor it on any other banks that may potentially be at risk. And that's where I think the danger is, is they're they're trying to, to say, we're going to cover your deposits no matter if there's insurance or not. So they're effectively saying, we're going to insure the entire amount of, of your deposits, even if it's $20 million versus two hundred. Well, they're really saying we're insuring the whole banking system at par. I mean, that is what they're really saying. So you think about what is the difference in the value of the assets and the liabilities. And if the Fed has basically said, we're going to stand in the breach for that, then, you know, that's, they number one, they really can't do that. They don't have the ability to do that, and they that that is not something that they are able or really, when they really think about what they're saying, willing to do, despite their declaration to the contrary. Well, what does that do to the industry as a whole? I mean, if you're if everything's backstop, basically banking, because it happened in 0809 with the large banks. But now, essentially, all banking is becoming a, a government-regulated utility. Well, it really and, started being that way in 08 and 09, and even before then with the FDIC. So, yeah, you know, this isn't new from there, but the guaranteeing of everything throughout the system. But, see, the fact that you have the FDIC to begin with is, in some ways, almost encouraged or enabled reckless behavior it's been doing it for years. If the banks really had their own personal capital at risk, 
and you know, and it was more like a partnership where if you screwed up, you could be hurt badly. Lending would be a lot different and you wouldn't see loans made for things that they probably shouldn't be made for. Right. That's a good place to pause for a break. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Chad Sturgill, Mike Johnson, and our host, Tom Dupree. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Financial Hour. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show for the second half of our financial hour. Joining us this week, Mike Johnson, Chad Sturgill, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. Well, you've got a story. Of course, that's more of Steely Dan from, what's the name of that album? On there, it's the... Can't Buy a Thrill. Can't Buy a Thrill. I don't remember which one that was in the, of course, Steely Dan just... Donald Fagan and Walter Becker, amazing. Then later on, uh, they had, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Played with the Doobie Brothers. Uh, guitar uh, guy. And he's also sort of a national security expert. Um, oh. I can't think of it. Anyway. Uh, I don't what know. Google's for, Mike, yeah. right? I know, exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
you have this story here about this guy, Ronald Reed. I'm just going to read this. It's kind of interesting. Ronald Reed is a personal finance expert's dream. Reed was a gas station uh, attendant and janitor who amassed an $8 million fortune through a combination of frugal living and a buy-and-hold investment philosophy. When he died, the majority of that money was bequeathed to a local library and hospital. The craziest part of the story is no one in his local community had any idea Reed was so wealthy, not even his stepchildren. In fact, most people assumed the opposite. Before his death, June 2, 2014, Reed's only indulgence was eating breakfast at the local coffee shop where he once tried to pay his bill only to find that someone had already covered it under the assumption that he did not have the means. His lawyer said, you'd never know the man was a millionaire. The last time he came here, he parked far away in a spot where there were no meters so he could save coins. Now I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example. And this lady lived in Lexington. I'll just say she worked for a local business here uh, for almost 70 years. She worked at the same business for 70 years. Almost. And she never earned a huge income. Uh, She invested her money in stocks. And then later on, she actually invested in some uh, fourplexes and and had some rental property. I would be willing to bet she never earned more than $50,000 a year. When she retired or passed away, her estate was worth about $7 million. Um, How old was she when she died? She was in her 90s. She had to have been because you do the 70 work and 21 work or 18 working age. And a client of mine was her employer, and then he ended up uh, being the executor of her estate. And uh, he was truly humbled by her example. You know, she was just an amazing person. Now, not everybody is going to live like this. So we have also the example in this article. This is called Frugality Versus Extravagance. It was posted on April the 8th of last year by a guy named Ben Carlson. Uh, In his book, uh, Die With Zero, Bill Perkins details how he spent a decent chunk of his net worth on a blowout 45th birthday party on St. Bart's. He flew in his family and friends, put them up at some of the nicest resorts on the island, provided food and entertainment, even flying in Natalie Merchant for a live concert. So this guy was a guy that wanted to do it differently. He would rather create experiences that people remember, and rather than having money stacked up in the bank, as his symbol for wealth, his uh, you know way of denominating wealth 
is to have memorable things that you can remember. So, yeah, it, I, it it'd be interesting uh, to find out what these two guys, what their early childhood experiences with money, oh, what yeah. that was like, that's because be. that's that's usually what shapes absolutely how people are with money um and so that, that would be interesting that's more on the, the the psychology side of things but the the point of this is everybody has their own view on you know that balancing act um it like with anything in life there has to be a mix of the two um now you could be somebody who actually your experience, your enjoyment comes from saving money and investing money. There, there, there are people like that. Oh yeah, that, I'm that way. Yeah, I like doing that. And, I like having fun too. And, and and that can be your experience, if you will, is the the joy of compounding. Um, and to to your point, the the lady that you that you're talking about, this is the same. Uh, situation with Buffett, it's the length of time in the compounding. Um, and so, you know, if, if it, it, it depends on when you're born, how long you live, that's a big yeah. part of it. You know, the return, sometimes you can't get away from certain returns, average returns. Um, but you have to know how you're wired uh, right. as an investor, uh, because if, if, if somebody's dictating to you, it's like, this is the way to do it right here. And there's no other way. And it goes against the grain. You're not going to stick with that long-term plan and something's going to go awry. Now, one, a side note, you can't live on experiences. <laughs> you can't cash that check. Um, so you do have to have a plan that takes into account what your goals are, how you're wired, what are, you know, is this money, do you want to leave it to heirs? Well, if so, this might have a 150-year investment horizon. Um, if if you're wanting to spend every dollar, be careful. <laughs> yeah. You know. It, I, I tell you another thing, though, Mike. Just because somebody's got money in the bank like this fella, I think sometimes that's almost a sign of a mental disorder because uh, I've seen people with large amounts of money that really lived in poverty as if they were. I'll give you another example. I had a, uh, a lady who was a client of mine, and she had let's just say a couple of large positions, one of which was IBM, the other one was GE. And the positions were worth several hundred thousands of dollars. But the dividends on them, and there was something about her husband had died and he hadn't paid into Social Security, and she wasn't getting any Social Security at all. And she was getting maybe fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year in dividends from those two stocks. And essentially she was living on dog food. I mean, almost. It was it was that bad. And 
she had several hundred thousand dollars in these stocks, but she would not allow herself to liquidate part of it or put it into something that would earn. She could have earned three to four times the dividends. Yeah. And gone from living on fifteen to twenty thousand dollars to sixty, seventy thousand. Um, but she didn't do it because she said her husband had told her never sell those. Mm-hmm. And you know that was a terrible thing that she lived under. She had the money to live better, but she didn't. And I have heard this story repeated. I remember there was a bank I used to call on uh, in eastern Kentucky. They said there was a lady in there. It was a customer in their trust department. Had over $4 million in stocks and bonds. Kept them in her lockbox. So she wasn't a big trust customer. And they couldn't ever get her to do, you know, all she wanted to do was reinvest her money. And she lived like a bag lady. She had plenty of money, but she would not allow herself to create a better quality of life for herself. Yep. It's a disease. It's a mental disease. People, I've seen this before. Yeah. It's not good. Well, it, it, and, and what, it, what it stems from is fear. You know, they have a, 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 it's a fear of maybe running out. Yeah. It's a fear of not having, not being able to provide. It's a fear of, well, I'm going against my deceased husband's wishes or, you know, yeah. it, it all stems from this unhealthy fear and it's illogical, you know, and, completely. And that's what we've seen this in a number of different ways. When you sit down and you develop a plan with somebody, the point is, is, a to find you know if there are issues you know is it a workable plan right. but it's also to to give comfort you know it's like let's yeah. let's give an actual um, uh, analysis that should give you comfort in these in these cases it's like you could be spending this and your quality of life could be this much better um, so that but they get used to being that way and it's yeah, hard right. to get out of it. And that was what I was going to say. The longer they exhibit that behavior where they're being frugal, I mean, if they do that for 30 years, when the time comes when they've accumulated a lot and, and can actually enjoy it, they're just not able to. They're mentally not capable of it because it's been hardwired into their brain that they have to be frugal. And people definitely suffer from that as well. As I do think there is a, a some sort of a mental condition that prevents people from, from enjoying themselves or, or having unhealthy amount of fear about running out of, of money that causes them to make irrational decisions about about their uh, their plan. And one point that they make in the article that, that I, I think is really important is I don't think people really consider, I think they think they're going to live forever and their health is going to be great. And it's only when they start to get older and getting get closer to that time where maybe that's when their, their parents died or they came down with some illness, that's when it starts to hit them. And right. this whole balancing act of experiences while you're still young enough to enjoy them versus not outliving your money. I mean, it's a very personal decision, but people need to put more weight on I couldn't their agree, health. Couldn't health. agree with you more. Well, and on the 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 frugal side of things, um, if somebody I mean, we, we've seen it with with our clients too that they've accumulated a certain amount and you know a, a good sized number on paper. But what got them to that point was, was being, being frugal. frugal. 
and they're just kind of hardwired that way. But no, but they weren't wanting for anything. They were content. Well, and that's what you have to find. You have right. to find that level of contentment. And one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is that some of the wealthiest people we know actually are not hugely wealthy by worldly standards, but they've learned how to live within their means. And regardless of whatever they do, they live on less than what's coming in and they're still putting money away even into their retirement year. Yeah. You know, the, the, the retirement investment industry, I think can sometimes mislead people and think, well, this is just now the time where you spend whatever you got. No, you know, we don't know how long we're going to live. I like somebody that's still saving money, you know, that, yeah. and people have this idea that you're happier, uh, out on a golf course somewhere at a resort. When the fact is some people may be the most happy doing their normal daily routine that they like to. I mean, we were supposed to go to Houston for three days this week and certain things came up and prevented that. Well, you know, I felt like. I like it being here better than, you know, doing my thing here. So, I mean, I can't take my dogs with me. You know, it, I don't know. It sounds very uh, provincial, which that's me, I guess. But, you know, as you get older, yes, your habits, you do like your habits because your habits are kind of what kind of got you where you are. Well, and your, your habit, I mean, your habits are either are defined by you or define you. Um, that's who you are, your habits. Um, yeah, it, and, it really is. And so it, everybody's wired differently. Um, so to that point, everybody's goals are different uh, in retirement. And there's no one-size-fits-all. And that's why it's, it's so important to have – that person to talk to right uh where a plan is developed and it's with your goals in mind chad you know in your previous uh employment you were with a bank and then a big trust outfit i mean you saw a lot of these different sort of personality types you know come in and even though you weren't the account rep per se you would still talk to some of these clients uh what were some things that maybe stood out to you uh in doing all that well there's i, I think really you've got to make an effort to understand the psychology uh, people are irrational by nature and they are well, very much sure. influenced by their by their childhood experiences. i mean you're absolutely right you have to unpack that in order to understand. I mean, I know of a, a particular guy I talked to numerous times about investing. He just could not bring himself to take money. Uh, he didn't have, he didn't want for anything, uh, but he just couldn't invest because he just couldn't handle the, the, the potential for loss. And he would talk a good game, but then when it came time to actually investing right. and it cost him a lot of money, but I finally concluded that he's happy I mean, he's, he's yeah, happier not, not to, losing than he is uh, the, what he's missing out on the potential gain. So I think you really have to, to understand that. But, I mean, to answer your question more directly, I mean, we had, uh, I mean, particularly on the trust side of, of, the, of, the, of that world, uh, we saw just a lot of family dynamics that were going on there where you had people that, um, that would not allow themselves to enjoy their, I mean, they felt uh, a, a, almost like a sense of betrayal to their father or whomever it was that actually accumulated the wealth 
if they did anything with it. You know, that's that's interesting because you've seen this, you know, and, and you've, you've noted it too. You'll have a, a generation that accumulates wealth and does well. Sometimes they had to really bootstrap themselves up, this kind of thing. Then you get the next generation and they, they tend to uh, somewhat be not as worried about the accumulation part and it can go and it can ebb and flow. And I see that it really does it in prominent families. And a lot of times, uh, throughout, uh, I've seen it with people in Eastern Kentucky and it's, it's a very real thing. I mean, you know, you see that. Well, the other thing, I mean, one person that popped to mind, uh, when you were talking about the, uh, the long time or the, the, uh, 70 year employee that, couldn't spend their money that she lived sure. like a bag lady i had a client who well no she actually lived pretty good but there uh, was another one that did okay live. okay yeah. i'm sorry for confusing that but this was a i believe a college professor that had retired he only bought municipal bonds and he held them to maturity but he was so interested in being frugal that he and his wife they had one car they walked a lot of places it was a used Toyota Corolla, and this is a man who was worth a few million dollars, mind you. Uh, they, I mean, he he just, I, I feel I felt sorry for his wife because anything she wanted, he said no because it cost money. And I mean, that's an example though of somebody who just, I mean, I, I really think that they, that was what was important to him and and made him, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, that was way more important to him than actually enjoying the. Fruits, uh, the, of, his fruits of his labor, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's again what I've learned from the time doing this is that you've really got to understand the psychology. What and, and oftentimes what their childhood experiences were, how they what they learned from their parents, or some traumatic event that changed their outlook on things. That's when you really get to to understand how they think and can can uh, put something a, a plan together uh, that will work for them. That yeah. will work with their psychology. Money's very personal. Yeah. And the use of that money is very personal. Well. And my wife likes to spend mine. <laughs> She's sitting right here to deny the fact because you're the guy that sits on top. No, I'm kidding. It, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so here, let me wrap oh. this up. If you would like us to guide you to the retirement you envisioned for yourself, customized oh, to your Lord. goals, call us at 859 233 400 you can also schedule an appointment with us on the website at duprefinancial.com. We hope you learned something today. Gives yeah, you, gives if you nothing some, else, people can be really weird. Oh, stop. <laughs> it's food for thought for sure. We appreciate you joining us. We'll be back for the next hour in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. <laughs>